Massachusetts got some grim news this month. Opioid deaths were up in 2022, with more than 2,300 confirmed and estimated opioid-related overdoses. That's up 2.5% from the year before, and 9% higher than our pre-pandemic peak in 2016. Department of Public Health Commissioner Robbie Goldstein described these numbers as devastating and tragic, even as he and other public health officials highlighted ongoing efforts from the Healy administration to deal with the crisis. So, what's to be done? One idea that's been kicked around for years now is implementing supervised consumption sites. And after decades of operation abroad, they're starting to gain traction in the United States. New York City operates two of the centers, Rhode Island has legalized them, and here in Massachusetts, Somerville is moving toward being the first Bay State municipality to open one. On Beacon Hill, lawmakers are trying once again to legalize their operation, citing a new gubernatorial administration and a friendlier national presidential administration as signs that this may be the moment to try out every option. But there are risks. Illicit drug use for substances like heroin and unregulated synthetic opioids are illegal on the federal level, and plenty, including our former governor, don't buy the idea that the best way to deal with the drug crisis is to provide a place to consume those substances. So let's get into it. I'm Jennifer Smith with Commonwealth Magazine, and today I'm joined by Somerville Mayor Katiana Ballantyne and Sarah Evans with Open Society Foundations. Thank you both for being here. Hi, it's so nice to be here. So, Sarah, why don't you start us off from a broad place? When we talk about safe consumption sites, supervised consumption sites, safe injection sites, because they go by a few names, what exactly are we talking about and how common are they globally? Thank you so much. I'm really um, pleased to be here today and to talk about this issue. Um, So, briefly, safe consumption sites or safe drug use sites or overdose prevention centers are places where people can go um, and use illicit substances under the supervision of trained staff and without fear of arrest. And knowing that the staff who are there will intervene in the case of an overdose or any sort of other medical emergency that that might happen. Um, These sites are actually nothing new um, they've been around in the world for about 35 years. There are, there are some 200 such sites operating in various countries around the world. Most of them are in um, North America or Europe, but not exclusively. There are sites now open in Colombia, in Mexico, in, in Ireland. Is There are sites coming up in Australia. So they really are around the world. Um, uh, some of them have been there for 35 years. They've been studied uh, extensively. And I myself operated a site uh, in Vancouver, British Columbia, when it first opened 20 years ago. So that's the length of my history with this topic, uh, which is Insight, which was the first legally sanctioned public supervised consumption site in North America at the time. So, Mayor Valentine, uh, walk us through the history of the Somerville site here. Obviously, it predated your tenure, but uh, is what Sarah described roughly what's being proposed there as well? Thank you. So this um, really started from an idea from a counselor, um, Ward 1, Counselor Matt McLaughlin, put this idea forward. I want to say it was maybe 2017 or, or so, um, then, you know, as we know, the, the mayor uh, in the city of Somerville makes things happen. And he put a proposal forward 
my predecessor, Joe Curtitone, in 2019. In 2021, the city of Somerville partnered then with Brown University to conduct a needs assessment and feasibility study. And that's when uh, the recommendation came to establish at least one uh, overdose prevention center in Somerville that could also use, uh, include harm reduction and supportive services for people who use drugs. And then in 2022, the city contracted with Fenway Health to develop a conceptual uh, design, explore location options, and engage in the community process. And now we are exploring those options and the logistics ever since. So one thing that I did kind of want to dig in with both of you on, so Sarah, you can feel free to start, is part of the question around these sites seems to be what the primary purpose is. We talk about them as kind of a potential two-hander, maybe something in between, of basically mitigating the harm that could happen from either uh, the drug itself, if there's an overdose, um, unsafe usage. Uh, of the of the drugs if there are, say, unclean needles. And then you get into the question of, um, is this here to also reduce drug use? So how would you characterize the purpose of these safe consumption sites in general? I think that the main purpose, to my mind, uh, of these sites is to save people's lives, right? We all know people are dying of overdoses um, in our communities. It affects every walk of life and overdose rates are growing um, at the fastest rates amongst some particularly vulnerable segments of our population and um, amongst BIPOC, BIPOC populations. So um, we want to be able to do everything that we can to make sure that nobody dies, right? And this is not an argument against anything at all, right? We need people, we want to facilitate people to get access into um, recovery and treatment services when they're ready, but they can't do that if they're dead, really. So what these sites, in my experience and in my mind, predominantly serve to do is to create a space where people who are at risk of dying of an overdose can receive the help that they need so that they don't die. And I say that really starkly because to me, that's always been the driving force around this. And I'm happy to say that in 35 years of these sites operating around the world, there have been lots of overdose events in these sites, and there have been no fatalities. So that's a huge impact. If we have this tool that works, then nobody needs to die, we should definitely engage with it. And I really want to congratulate the mayor and, and the city of Somerville for, for doing this, really. Um, but having said that, I also want to say it doesn't stop there. In my own experience operating one of these sites and basically being there day in and day out for some eight years um, uh, after Insight opened in Vancouver, you build a relationship with people, you create a safe space where people can be treated with dignity, where they know that you are there for their safety, and then out of that a whole bunch of things can happen. People get the ability to make some other choices about their life. They get resources and connected to care so that if they um, want to go into treatment, they can. If they need housing, you can help them. If they need methadone, you can help them. Uh, if they have other kind of uh, subcutaneous infections or, or chronic health conditions, you can help them. And none of those connections to care would happen uh, without this kind of entry point that the site provides. 
And then Mayor, so how are you kind of squaring the circle here uh, in Massachusetts? There have been a number of concerns raised over gubernatorial administrations. For instance, uh, you know, former Governor Charlie Baker said he didn't feel like this was kind of a, a strong enough argument to basically allow or encourage again, depending depending on your viewpoint, you know, allow or encourage uh, illicit drug use, uh, the fear of federal prosecution. Um, of course, uh, former U.S. attorney for Massachusetts, Andrew Lelling, said that there would be, you know, federal charges probably brought against such sites if they were to open. So how are you thinking about the landscape legally as well as kind of clinically? So, um Legally and clinically. So um, thanks for that. I, I, you know, I do want to echo what Sarah said. This is about saving lives. Okay. For the city of Somerville, that's 15 to 20 lives a year. Those are our neighbors. Those are, you know, could be our parents, children, uh, friends. And that is the whole goal. And this is a tool. There is data that shows there it's evidence-based. And that uh, to me is the driving force. I mean, last week we heard uh, the statistics that in 2022, the numbers went up. Well, in Somerville, when I say, you know, we have an average 15 to 20 in Somerville, it was 22. So we, we also uh, uh, in, uh, increased. And I, um, so the goal is, you know, saving lives. It's um, one thing I'd like to talk about is, you know, the stigma factor. Our, our neighbors and our friends who are passing away, they are not bad people. They are friends, they are neighbors, they're loved ones who've been suffering from a disease and um, they are isolated. Um, and uh, we have learned in Somerville that overdoses are more likely to occur when the individuals are alone. And for our community to save our neighbors and our, our friends and family members, an overdose prevention site offers the medical care, the peer-to-peer -peer support for people who are uh, not quite ready possibly to be sober, but patients can also use the site for wraparound services. So clinically, we are looking, we, um, I, um, along with my chief of staff, to police officers, to fire uh, department personnel, EMS, emergency management, our E911, uh, two staff from our health and human services department, went down to New York City to On Point uh, um, NYC to, to see how uh, it's, it's operating. And it was certainly eye-opening for, for everyone, these wraparound services. And that is a lot of what we've heard. When you come in, there's a welcoming center. There's somebody there to connect you with are you you hungry? Are you do you need medical care? There's a, a, a facility. So we are looking uh, to have those wraparound services because it has been 
you know, uh, shared with us the best practices are to uh, um, not only, you know, help with the disease, but then also meet people where they're at in order to uh, maybe connect them to mental health um, services, or maybe they need to see a doctor for, for something, or they have, you know, food insecurity issues. So we're thinking about it clinically. On the, the legal side, you know, in Massachusetts, there are some serious legal risks in opening an overdose prevention center. And Somerville, as a municipality, is willing to take on those risks but we're doing everything we can to reduce uh, the risk for the operating site, for the client seeking treatment who might face potential uh, criminal prosecution, for the service providers also uh, at risk, uh, their status of, of licensure. How does the you know national landscape end up factoring into this? Uh, the Biden administration could, in theory, uh, have decided to enforce federal drug policy against, for instance, the New York uh, clinic specifically, but hasn't. Um, but there may well be in the future uh, a president who doesn't feel that way and who might direct a Justice Department to treat these differently. Um, even maybe in Massachusetts, a motivated Democrat, because if you think about California, uh, Gavin Newsom at the time uh, did, I believe, veto legislation that would have allowed these sites. So how are you planning for possible changes in, in governance on the state and the federal level? Uh, we are trying to be as current as possible on all that um, information, the legal uh, information. Uh, making sure that we're in contact with, uh, um, um, how, I, you know, how that landscape is, is, is playing out. But we're trying to be very thoughtful, uh, very deliberate, making sure that we're current and in the moment on how that uh, might shift. So uh, it could um, propel us in a direction that, is, um, that helps save lives. And Sarah, you're coming at this from a bit of a, a broader view here, of course. You're looking at this nationally. You're looking at this internationally. What is the sort of current landscape in American politics that you've been following that has impacted not just New York sites kind of opening up without state or federal approval, but then there have been, you know, moves in uh, Rhode Island, for instance, uh, to to move to allow these sites across the state. So how are you feeling about the patchwork of laws that we seem to be dealing with nationally? Well, look, when you have city, state and federal government, you know, change is always a little bit of a patchwork, right? But the fact that there is a patchwork, I take as a really good sign, right? We are making progress. <clears throat> Somerville uh, is doing the right thing. Uh, it's the obvious next step. It builds on efforts that have always already happened. New York's sites opened, as we know, with uh, city approval. So that level of governmental approval, um, uh, which cities have the authority and the responsibility to do what they can about people that are dying um, because they are under the bridge or in the park or in the McDonald's bathroom or what have you, right? Um, and so, uh, 
um, that's the jurisdiction under which the New York sites opened um, and they continue to operate. We're now well into, what is this, the second year or third since COVID? I've lost track of time, but, you know, they've continued to operate under that jurisdiction this whole time. And I have every expectation that that they will remain open. There were um, also there was also an experience uh, in California, the Tenderloin site, um, which opened, operated for a year, did so very successfully, and there's some really compelling data um, from that site. Now it's closed, and they're they're reconfiguring and 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 looking for a different venue, as I understand it. Uh, but it wasn't closed for any legal reasons. Um, there are multiple jurisdictions around the country that are looking at doing the same um, with either city, county, or state-level approval. Um, uh, in the case of Rhode Island, they passed a bill. So now these sites are legal. The Senate approved it, so the uh, the state has, has made it legal. Interjurisdictional, like what the state can do and what the you know, versus what the federal government can do is a complex issue. I'm not a constitutional scholar. Um, I'm not even an American. So I just, I defer to others to kind of uh, talk about that. Um, but my understanding is that cities and states um, have power to make these decisions. And certainly in the case of the Rhode Island where, um, where it was voted on, you know, through their uh, legislative process, um, they have the power to make these decisions. And they're doing that. And they're doing it because there's 35 years of evidence that shows that these sites work and the things that people are anticipating in terms of uh, reduction in um, overdose death rates in the community around the sites, reduction in transmissible, transmissible disease like HIV and hepatitis C in the at, at population level. People are that we know from 35 years of experience that those outcomes come to pass and that some of the other fears that people have, and I do understand there's fear um, around any kind of new intervention. And this one, um, because it has to do with, you know, drugs and, and drugs is such a, a deeply painful issue for a lot of people. I, I understand that there's fear around this, but none of the things that people are afraid of have come to pass in any of the sites. So there hasn't been a, like a honeypot effect where drug users from all over the country or when we opened ours in Canada, we were told by the then US drugs are that 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 American drug users would flock to Canada to use this site. And like, honestly, none of those things happened. And now we kind of laugh and think that it was ludicrous. But we have the evidence to show that essentially the positives that we anticipate come to pass, the negatives that we fear do not come to pass. Um, and that's why more and more jurisdictions are are looking to do the right thing. And I again, I just want to say, like Somerville is 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 leading the way here and is making um, a really important decision for the protection of the citizens of Somerville and, and, and like the individuals who will use the site and the surrounding community. It's just logical. Um, and uh, more and more cities are gonna be making this decision. And so uh, Mayor, you brought up stigma um, and Sarah, you've also talked about kind of uh, concerns around uh, flocking to these sites. Sarah, I wonder uh, if you can tell me, looking back uh, all those years ago to, to when Insight first opened, what kind of generalized safety concerns were you prepping for? What kind of potential worst case outcomes? And then how did you work to mitigate those? Because then, of course, I'd like to turn to the look ahead on Somerville. Well, we did a lot of different forms of preparation and because it was the first legal one in the country at the time and in North America at the time, we were really like building it as we went. And so I won't go into all of the preparations that we made because some of them seem like um, 
ludicrous in hindsight. But I will say this. One thing that we did was a lot of education. Like I view this as an educational activity. We did a lot of talking like up and down in back alleys, you know, talking to people who might be potential consumers of these sites and, be, and being like, what would it take for you to go, you know, to trust and to go inside and to use the site? Because we didn't want to open it and have it. We were worried that we would open it and nobody would come to it. <laughs> um, it turns out that was not something we needed to worry about because people came to it in droves. But I think that's in part because of this process of community engagement that we did. And we also talked to all of the other stakeholders, including um, folks who were opposed to the site at first or who were worried about what that might mean for the surrounding area. Um, and just um, making sure that there was a process of really um, debunking some of the myths um, and sharing the evidence um, and the experiences um, from other cities and, and, and other countries um, in order to um, uh, in order to do what we could to to bring people along in their understanding. And I'm happy to say that, and I've said this as well in other places, in the end, some of the biggest supporters were people who were initially not uh, supportive because uh, they saw that the longer the site was there, the things that we said were good, like I said, did happen. The things that they were afraid of, the bad things that they were afraid of did not happen. And over time, um, after the site had been open for um, uh, a couple of years, local approval ratings were over 80%, um, uh, which hadn't been the case before we opened. So over time, we saw more support um, and we saw the opposition fall away as people realized what was actually happening at these sites uh, was about saving lives and, and improving the quality of the neighborhood. And Mayor, how are you feeling about Somerville kind of being the first mover on this? Other cities and towns like Cambridge are also looking um, at the possibility, but as is uh, typical in Massachusetts, it looks like it's going to maybe be a municipality by municipality by mm -hmm. municipality decision. So uh, we've talked about the national patchwork. How are you feeling about the Massachusetts patchwork here? What kind of intercity demand, intercity communication, uh, do you expect is going to come about in the near future? Yeah, um, so I'd like to talk about that, but I'd also like to talk about, you know, in a municipality, because we're so dependent on state and federal, is yes, we can look in-house, but because there are some bills at the state house right now, we, uh, I, I spoke on uh, behalf of those, um, uh, I, I think it was last week, is that uh, we have to make sure that the operators the, of these particular sites and that the, uh, the um, clients that are there are not um, hurt or licensure for anybody who, who works there. So I'd say is we need to make sure there's a push that way. Um, and then locally for the for the city of Somerville, you know, as I, um, you know, sort of as an outline of where we are uh, last week, last year in, in the budget process, I had set aside a half a million dollars for operations and late, uh, uh, related costs. Uh, we have about um, 800,000 uh, in uh, that account. We've added uh, nearly 200,000 more. So we're about, uh, you know, a million to 
um, go towards a modular uh, unit. Um, we have, um, we're putting together the uh, RFP for that modular unit. Uh, feasibility uh, study determined that a modular unit for the city of Somerville, we're in four square miles, we don't own a, a, a lot of land, brick and mortar was not uh, an option, that this would be uh, the next uh, step for us. Uh, we need to continue to work on logistics uh, necessary to uh, purchase that. But and there's also um, supply chain uh, issues that uh, we're facing. Um, this process in terms of timeline, uh, it does take time, but um, creating lasting results is what is most important for us. You know, I've been committed to opening a site that's not only serves the community, um, but also serves as a model for other municipalities uh, nationwide. And um, we have to do public engagement. Um, uh, as Sarah mentioned, education is really important, making sure that we're not, we're being as transparent as possible and always getting uh, better at that. I will say that I did uh, as an anecdote, have a father who said to me, you know, please, you know, we need to get these drug users uh, outside of uh, Davis Square. We can't have them here. My kids are seeing this and, and so forth. And in the same breath, he was saying to me, um, we don't want an overdose prevention center. So then I just started asking open-ended questions. So how, how do you think we could do this? You know, and uh, wonderful. First of all, he was willing as a father of two young kids, he was willing to engage in the conversation. And as I started asking of these questions, um, he's like, oh, like, okay, I get it. Well, if they're doing it right here, you know, maybe um, having a location for um, users to be able to uh, consume safely um, would be a better better thing. So um, it is uh, important to continually engage, continually to give information, uh, education, the latest information. Also, you know, just being honest is, uh, are, you know, are we making pivots or are we changing? Is just to make sure that there are no barriers there uh, whatsoever. So um, that's about, you know, where we are at the, at the moment and um, um, have certainly said happy to work collaboratively and zooming out, you know, in terms of uh, the state of Massachusetts, happy to get input. Sarah, wonderful to see you uh, and hear you uh, in terms of, you know, the lessons you have all learned, the data that you have all shared, you know, the best practices uh, that are, are out there. And um, again, this is about saving lives. Thank you again to Mayor Katana Ballantyne and Sarah Evans with Open Society Foundations for joining me on the podcast. And to our listeners, have a wonderful holiday weekend, and we'll be back in your ears next week.